Let's, um, we're going to jump into Proverbs 28. And, you know, as we've been doing uh, the last several weeks, a couple of months, uh, we, we're taking one chapter and we're picking out a theme. Because as we've seen, it's compl- complicated to, to, to go verse by verse through every single one of these chapters because we'd be going through multiple topics. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through all uh, 28 verses of chapter 28, and then we're going to hone in on three verses. Amen? So let, let's, let's read Proverbs 28, 1 through 28. It says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That's one of the verses we're going to key in on tonight. Verse 2, When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. That, that is a, that's a powerful verse. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It's it's another verse we're going to look at tonight. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is is an abomination. Wow. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Huh. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. We've had several verses throughout Proverbs that have that same similar thing, that when the righteous are, are ruling, people thrive and rejoice. But when the wicked rule, we groan. Lord, help us. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And this is the, the, the third verse we're going to look at more closely. Verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another... He will be a fugitive until death. Let, let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be, will be delivered. But he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Isn't that pretty practical? If you don't work, you're not going to get much out of it. My, my brother-in-law works, worked the back of his uh, dad's uh, property my father-in-law's property uh his last time off and he they're gonna plant a vegetable garden and so he's working the land but he wants us all he says he told me last night if you're if you're gonna eat the potatoes and the cucumbers and everything you got to put some skin in the game so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be working the land uh come december when we go to january when we go to plant let's see verse 19 whoever works his land will have plenty of bread but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do no wrong, will will do wrong. 
A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. That is, isn't that so true? That, that, that's hard. Let's go back to that verse. That's challenging. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Who, who likes to be rebuked here? Can you, does anybody enjoy that? Maybe t- temporarily you don't really like it. But in the end, you would rather have somebody who would tell you the truth about yourself than somebody who only tells you what you want to hear because you know that type of person doesn't really love you. They're trying to get something from you. That's a, that's a telltale sign. Somebody only tells you good things about yourself, they probably want something from you. Verse 24. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says that is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. That's a powerful scripture there. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. And it's that same theme about rulers. There's this continual theme. There is... as Pastor Nate and I were talking just a, a couple of moments ago. There was kind of two main themes. It's a, it's a theme about leadership. And then there's this other thing that we're gonna, going to look at. But it's, so, it's such a, a, an interesting theme that we've seen through the last several chapters of Proverbs that when wicked leaders rule, it really causes distress and moaning in our country. And there, there's this groundswell of unrest that you can sense. And, and I think we have sensed this for, for many years in our country. And... Uh, God, but, but God is faithful. Amen. So tonight what we want to do is I have three verses that we're going to key in on. And we're going to talk about the subject of the, having peace with God. I title this Peace with God. And these three verses that, that we're going to look at, verse 1, verse 6, and verse 13, all have a similar theme about having peace with God, about having integrity, and about being somebody that has enough integrity to confess their sin, to own up when they make a mistake and they dishonor God. And it's all, it's, this whole thing that we want to look at is all surrounded with what does it look like to have peace with God? What, what happens in your life when you have peace with God? And so just to kind of introduce this subject, I've got a question for you. Have you ever seen someone who looked guilty? You may not know that they've, if they've done anything wrong. Anybody ever witness somebody? They just, their body language gives them away. They, they look, they're looking like this, looking like this. They're kind of looking around. And there's just this, you just don't, I don't know what they did. But I, for sure they have to be guilty. My kids have done that. You know, you ever seen your kids? You, 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 just, you just know. You walk into the room and you see your children. They did something. I know. I know you did something. I don't know what it is, but you look guilty as sin right now and you can just tell people it just people exude that and i've met people that they've had so many years of living disobedient sinful lives it's like accumulated guilt and they just constantly live with no peace in their heart just no peace they have no rest they can't lay their head down on their pillow at night and have a sense of calm and peace and rest and so what we want to talk about tonight is is that as believers in christ we have peace with God we can have peace we can know that God is with us and that he's faithful and that he's going to and our destiny is secured in him and we can have a a a, a conscience that is free from guilt because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin and so 
you just look at people that look guilty. You, just, you can just see it. It's kind of like a picture of a kid. They, they, their parent told them not to take the cookie off the cookie jar. I mean, I did that. I remember specifically when I was about my son's age. I remember, I can picture the house that we were living in. I can picture the cookie jar on top of the fridge. And I went and I remember getting up there and grabbing the cookie and eating the cookie. And I remember the guilty conscience that I had. And I remember my mom asking me and I remember lying to her and telling her, but she knew. I don't know if there was crumbs on my face or chocolate was smeared somewhere, but she knew that I did it. And you just, there's no peace. I was not restful until I came clean. I said, Lord, I said, Mom, yes, forgive me, I'm sorry. And I got, I got whipped and got the whole thing, the whole punishment. But, but then there was that peace that came. So that's what we want to look at. So Proverbs 28.1, this is the first verse that we, look, that we look at. And it kind of talks about what we were saying here. The wicked flee when no one pursues. The wicked flee when no one, the wicked, those that are guilty, the, the, the wicked are guilty. And they're pursuit, they're, they are running away and fleeing and nobody's chasing them. Nobody's after him, but they, 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 they constantly hear the police lights, si- siren. They, they, they hear it in their head because they're so used to, to doing things that aren't right. And they're constantly thinking, if I get caught, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in trouble. So they're fleeing when nobody is even pursuing them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. So this, this verse right here describes two, two different people. One person knows they are guilty. They know it. And they're looking around the corner. To see who's coming after them. Even though there might not be anyone there. And they have a guilty conscience. It could be also a picture of someone with a guilty conscience. And no peace in their heart. Because of the accumulation of disobedience. They are constantly looking over their shoulder. And they have a hard time resting with peace in their heart. The other person though. The righteous one that's as bold as a lion. Does not live with a constant sense of being guilty. There is not... A string of sinful actions waiting to be exposed. Isn't that, isn't that how you want to live? There's just not this constant string of disobedient things that you've done and all, and you know you're, you're waiting one t- it, it's, one day it's going to hit me. And you have that sense of fear and anxiety and worry and you can't rest. But righteous, when people are covered in the blood of Jesus, we're not perfect. It doesn't say that we're not perfect. It doesn't say that we don't sin. A, a righteous person is somebody who the pattern of their life and the direction of their heart is towards righteousness. And so they can rest at ease at night because they know they are right with God. Because of this, because of what I'm saying there, there is a settled confidence that infuses their heart with boldness. That's that sense of confidence that you know I can come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. Somebody who has peace in their heart because they have been covered in the blood of Jesus and they don't have a guilty conscience... They, they feel confident to come into God's presence. But I know all of us in this room, we felt the opposite, right? We felt the opposite. We felt like in those moments whenever we, we have done something we know that is disobedient, we don't feel like we can come as boldly before God's throne because we have a guilty conscience. That boldness has its foundation in the peace that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus offers the only peace that will, that, that will satisfy us and that will give us that sense of rest. That we can, we can rest at night. We can be calm. We can know that nobody's going to come get me. Nobody's going to knock on my door come and looking for me because I am at peace with God. John 14. This is, I, I love this section in John 14. This is such a, such a great scripture. This is Jesus speaking, right? He, 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 had, he had gone 
through the crucifixion. He had risen from the dead. This is right before his ascension into heaven. He's talking about leaving his disciples with the Holy Spirit, leaving the Holy Spirit with them. And this is what he says in verses 25 through 27. He says, these these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love this verse. This is so good. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Isn't that the peace you want? Peace from Christ, peace from relationship with Christ. But that peace is not as the world gives. You know, there's a peace that the world tries to give people. But it's completely different than what, the wor- than, than what Jesus gives. The peace that Jesus gives is only from relationship with him. You can only have genuine peace with Christ, genuine peace in your heart, if you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The world tries to give you peace from many other avenues and many other ways apart from Christ, apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I leave you this peace, but it's I give it to you. I'm making it available to you because of the resurrection. But it's not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, oh, this is so good. Listen, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can, we can live boldly as Christians in the way that, that we interact with people. We can boldly witness. But then we can live boldly right now in the middle of difficult circumstances because if, if my time, I said this last week, if this is the last message I preach and I don't see you guys next week, I'm with Jesus. And that's a peace that the world cannot give because those that don't know Jesus, they do not have that. There's a constant fear of death. What is the afterlife? What is there? What's going to happen? But with, as believers in Christ, we can live with boldness in, in this life. No fear. If this is my last message, I pray that I, that, that, that I do well and I pray that you're encouraged. But if it is, I will be with Jesus and, 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 and you will wish that you were with me. <laughs> That's a peace the world cannot give. Believers who are, people who are not believers do not have access to this kind of peace. The world cannot offer this kind of peace. The world only offers, listen to this, the world only offers temporary band-aids to fix the wounds that leave people without any sense of peace. It's, it's only temporary fixes, temporary band-aids to cover up those holes that are in people's hearts. Or they're looking for something, they're looking, they're, they're, they know they're empty, they're, they know they need peace, but they can't find the peace. The world only offers temporary fixes, temporary band-aids to, to, to cover up the deep wound that they have. So I've got a question for you. I've, I've, I've got a list that I came up with, but I want to ask you guys this question. What are some of those band-aids that the world, that people try to use to temporarily cover up their lack of peace? Shout me down. Power, money, entertainment, status. Power, money, entertainment, status. What else? Alcohol, drugs. Say it. Career. Busyness. Man, you guys, I just want you to know, you must have looked. Some of you must have looked at my notes. Some of you even said it word for word. (laughs) Anything else? Lust, yes. Oh, God help us. Uh, we, we, me and Estelle went on a trip to Washington, D.C., and I have a 16-gigabyte iPhone. I don't know why I did that. 
So I have no storage. And so I didn't want to bring my big, nice camera to tote it around. So I took pictures of my iPhone. But I had to delete Facebook because it's like over a gig and a half of space. And so I have not put it back on my phone for two, two almost three weeks. And I'm loving it. I, I, no Facebook world. <laughs> no drama. This is great. But yeah, people get lost. They, that's a temporary band-aid. It's, it's an alternate reality. People create an alternate reality on Facebook, on social media. And they try to, they disconnect themselves from the, from the hole that they feel. And, and they try to fill that, that emptiness. So I think that, that was a pretty good list. Here's my list. Money. Possessions. Relationships. Entertainment. Power and influence. Drugs or alcohol. Accomplishments and career. I mean, just think of, think of the things that people try to get out of money. I mean, people, you would think that people would understand that money is not gonna, is not gonna fix it for you. You know, and if you talk to somebody who's rich, who, who can buy whatever they want, they will tell you that it doesn't fix the hole that's in their heart. Because eventually you can, you know, you just get tired of spending money and buying stuff. And somebody who don't, we, of us who don't have a lot of money, we think that would be really, that'd take me a long time to get there. <laughs> but, 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 but it's true. You can only have so many cars and you can only have so many toys. You can only have so many shoes, even though I have a lot of shoes. You can only have so many shoes. You can only have so many possessions. But material things, it's impossible for those things to fill the emptiness that people have in their heart. That, that emptiness that they're, that, that they're trying to find something that will give them peace. Relationships. How many times you see people, they go from relationship to relationship and they're looking for that perfect relationship with somebody that's going to fulfill them. There's nothing there. It just leaves them empty. Entertainment. I, I believe we are drunk on entertainment in our culture in America. We just, we just sidetrack our, ourselves from the realities of life by entertainment. And entertainment comes in many different forms in our culture. Power and influence. Drugs or alcohol. That is one way that people that are depressed, oppressed, sick of life, no peace, they're at the end of the rope, they try to drown those things out with substances. But Jesus is the only one that offers peace. The righteous, though, are bold as a lion because they know who they are in Christ. They can boldly testify to others about the peace that God provides them through Jesus. And that's, that's, that's our commission. That's what we do. When we see the people that are around us that lack that peace, that we know, we, you can see that emptiness and they recognize something different in you. We can be bold as a lion because we know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and we can boldly testify. This is what God did in me. This is how he set me free from chasing trivial pursuits. This is what he did in my life. And I was, I was caught after chasing relationships and, and money and power and possessions to try to fill my hole. And I want you to know, this is what God did in me. No, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. But I have peace at night. I have peace in my heart. Amen? I got this last little statement in this first point. This is an important point here. You cannot be bold about something that you really, that you don't really believe. And you don't really believe something that you are not willing to live. And so, peace that comes in our heart through faith in Jesus Christ is because we are living what we say that we believe. So you can say that you believe it. You can say you believe it, but you will not have peace unless you really live what you say that you believe. That, that continual sense of peace with God is, comes from the reality of the finished work of the cross 
and the reality and the fact that you consistently live in ways that honor God. You really live what you really believe to be true. So that, that's, that's the first view of God's peace. Peace with God produces boldness. And if we go to, 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 to verse 6, let's read verse 6, 28, 6. It says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So the second thing that we want, we want to look at concerning peace is that peace with God is worth more than great treasure. It says there, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And so peace with God is more valuable than great treasure. It is so much better to have peace with God than to exchange that peace with God for temporary treasure. You know, it, you have so many people that are willing to exchange their integrity for temporary gain. Just to, just to give it up, to, to say, yeah, this is what I believe. But then when the pressure comes, when somebody pressures them and pushes them and says, do you really believe that? Or if, if you say you don't believe that, then this is what you can receive. This is what you'll get. I'll, I'll give you this promotion or I'll give you this opportunity for this position if, if, if you will say this is not where you stand. You know, this is where we are in our culture. And this is something we'll have to face as Christians, that there will be a time it, it, it happens now, and I think it will continue to happen in our culture, where there's going to be moments as believers where our integrity is going to come under question. And people are going to, are, are going to ask us questions. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that this is a sin? Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven? Do you, I mean, that's so narrow-minded. That's, narrow, that's so narrow-minded of you to believe Jesus is the only way. What about all the other good people? that are just good to their wives and their husbands and they take care of their families. What about those people? You're saying that those people, if they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Do you really believe that? And in those moments, in those moments, your integrity is on the line. Do you really believe that? And are you, are you willing to say, yes, this is what I believe? I believe it's wrong to steal. I believe it's wrong to lie. I believe that God's word is true. And I want to be a person of integrity and stand for what is true. So it is better to be poor. It's better to be isolated. It's better to be ostracized. It's better to be pushed in the corner. It's better to be overlooked. It's, it's, <coughs> it's better to be ridiculed, to be persecuted, than to have all the pleasures, all the temporary pleasures, all the possessions, and all the benefits that might come with compromising your belief system. It's better to lose it all than to compromise what you know to be true. It is better to be at peace with God. Listen to this. It is better to be at peace with God because you did the right thing than to be enriched or bettered because you compromised your belief system. We have an integrity crisis in our culture. That people's values and their belief systems are up for, for grabs. You know, as believers, what, what, what is the foundation of our integrity? What is it? What is it? connected with the word of God you see people who have different belief systems than we have they may be they may have they may walk in integrity according to their belief system for some people it's my belief system is that I'm the God of my own universe so I walk in integrity I, I, I don't I don't compromise those values right that's you know so people can be true to their values but for us as believers integrity looks like walking in integrity looks like Honoring and obeying the value system that we have that's founded on God's word. And so when people look at us and we bear the name of Jesus, it is, it is important that we walk in integrity in ways that, that demonstrate 
that our lives line up with what God's word says. There's a crisis of integrity, though, in our culture and in, and, and, and in the church. People will do and say anything to get what they want. You know, the, uh, the definition of, of integrity in Webster's Dictionary is this. There's three, three definitions. It's a firm adherence to a code of especially moral values, incorruptibility. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about there. It's, it's, we have a, a code of values, moral values, that we say is true. And if I say that I align myself with this, but I don't live it, I have no integrity, right? Or the second definition would be it's, it's an unimpaired condition. It's soundness. Or number three, it's the quality or state of being complete or undivided. To walk in integrity means here's my core values, here's what I believe, and I'm undivided in my devotion to it. I don't one day live this way. And then the next day I live this way. It's like what the book, book of James says. A, a, a double-minded man is unstable is in, in all his ways. He's, he's, he is a divided man. One day he's like this. He holds these values to be true, God's word to be true. And then the, the next day you, 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 you get at him and you try to get him to sway from his values and he does it. He's, he's divided. But somebody who walks in integrity, integrity is to be undivided, to be whole, to be complete, to be sound. That when, some, when, when you say... This is who you are. When you say this is what you stand for, people look at it and they know it to be true because you embody the values that you hold to be true. And through that life of integrity, that's where peace with God comes from, that we can walk in peace. It is better. Peace with God is more valuable than gold and silver and treasure and possessions and influence. So much better to walk in our integrity. We are undivided in our commitments to, to the word of God. You know, the, the Apostle Paul was under attack a lot in his time. And there was a group of people that were, that were saying that he wasn't genuine or honest. And he wasn't sincere in his devotion to Christ. He, that that he, was after thing, he was after things from an impure motive. He was trying to take advantage of people. And the Apostle Paul, he addresses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians 5... we'll find three motivations as believers to walk in integrity. So let's let's read this. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul. It says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Verse 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So three motivations for integrity that we see in in this verse. The the, the first motivation for integrity was found in verse 11. The first one is reverence for the Lord. And, And you see it there. It says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. And so Paul is saying there, I am sincere. God knows it. 
but he recognizes that it is a fearful responsibility. And that's what we have. That is a, a great, that is one of the, that, that is a foundation for our desire to walk in integrity is that we are motivated because we fear God. We reverence him. We stand in awe of him. We don't, we don't take lightly his standards. We don't take lightly that, that God has set forth commandments and standards and principles that he wants us to live by. And we say, God, we honor you. We, we reverence you. I take you serious. I just don't want to just be a, a Christian that comes to church and, and raises my hands and looks like I honor God and then go, and then go home and live com- completely different. There's a fear of God there. God God sees the heart. And I love what it says there. It says, God knows we are are sincere. God knows the heart. God sees past all the fluff. God sees past all, just like that song that that we sung. He says that God, he sees through our skin. Kind of a creepy little line there. God sees through our skin. But it's true. God sees, God sees the inward part of who we are. We can, we can, how many of you are you, can, can put up a front? Like me. We can, we can make somebody believe we, we're, we're okay or, or we believe something. Human beings are capable of putting up all kinds of fronts and hiding who, what we really think. God knows. Man, doesn't that, doesn't that make you just, just, Lord, you know. You know what I do when I'm by myself. You know what I think when, I, when my wife tells me something I don't agree with. You know my private thoughts. <laughs> you, you know what I think whenever... I, 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 my boss tells me something to do and you know my private thoughts and the disrespect that's in my heart. You know, just that understanding brings a reverence, God. I want to be sincere. Try me, test me, know me. See if there's any wicked way in me, as, as, as David said. That is a motivation for integrity, a reverence for the Lord. God, we reverence you because we know you see all and hear all and know all. But we reverence you and that's why we want to walk in integrity. Verse 13 gives a second motivation for integrity and it is devotion to the truth. Verse 13 says, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. We are devoted. People can look at me and say, you, you're, you're crazy. You're so crazy in the way that you live. You honor God. You're bold. If it seems we're crazy, it's because we are wanting to bring glory to God. That is, that is a, bringing glory to God is a motivation, a devotion to the truth. Being devoted to the truth to bring glory to God is a motivation for integrity. Because we don't want to dishonor God's name. We want to be devoted to the truth because we know that someone who's devoted to the truth, who lives what he believes, who stands for biblical principles, honors God and glorifies God because of their devotion to the truth. A third motivation in this section is, and this is, this is so beautiful here. It's, it's, it's gratitude for the Savior. And that's verses 14 through 15. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we, just, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Christ's love controls us gratitude for the savior that's why we walk in integrity jesus you shed your blood you shed your blood so i could receive forgiveness of sins you died on the cross so i can have a brand new life and because of what you did because of the magnitude of your sacrifice for me this is why i choose to honor you to fear you to be devoted to the truth to reverence you and 
and, and be grateful for your sacrifice. This is why I walk in integrity. And because of this, I have peace with God. And, and not walking in integrity produces a sense of guilt. You have a guilty conscience. And compromising your integrity is never worth it. Who's, who's ever experienced that? That moment you compromise your integrity, you, you, you know instantly that was not worth it. It's totally not worth it. Who's, who's ever experienced that? Just that moment, you, you, you realize, because you're a believer, because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, you know, and that was a dumb decision. Should have never done it. And it's, it's, it's immediate, it's instant. And that's one of the proofs that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You can know instantly, you know instantly, this was not right. You, you know before you do it, and you know after you do it, and you realize it's not worth it. Jesus, what, what you did for me, because of what you did for me, I should honor you with my life. Gratitude for the Savior. The third view of the peace of God is this. This is found in verse 13. Verse 13 says this. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever conceals his transgression, you're not going to prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. So the third view of peace is this, is that peace with God is worth the embarrassment of confession. It's worth the embarrassment that comes from confession. Who's ever been embarrassed when they confess something that they did wrong? And you just get that, you're just like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? And, when, and whenever you confess, whether it's to the Lord, or even more flesh Person to person, you can confess to somebody that, that looks up to you, somebody that trusts you. You ever had to confess to somebody that trusts you and you broke their trust? It's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than that, than, than to confess a sin that you've done against somebody. You've hurt them. You've offended them. You've wounded them. You've, 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 you've hurt them with your words. You've hurt them by your actions. It is worth the embarrassment. To confess that sin and to own up and to apologize because not having peace in your heart and living with that guilty conscience is not worth it. Peace with God is worth the embarrassment of confession. There is no sin. Listen to me. There is no sin worth hanging on to if it means losing the peace of God in your heart. There's no sin. There's no disobedience that's worth. Can we think of, of any of it? Of, of any sin that's worth hanging on to? There's none. There's no sin, no disobedience that you could think, man, if I, if I could just keep living this way, it'd be okay for a little while. There's none of it if you're going to exchange the peace of God in your heart. That sense of laying your head down at night and saying, I am right with the Lord. I am right with you, God. There's a scripture in 1 John chapter 1. It's a really great scripture. And before we read it, I just want to make the statement that believers confess sin. Believers confess sin. Non-believers do not. Believers, a mark of a believer is that you confess sin. It's not always easy to confess sin. But genuine believers, they, they confess it. They are confessors. Believers are repenters. Believers confess. Believers repent. In the book of 1 John chapter 1, there's a, there's a flow here. John was dealing with false teachers during his day. And there was people who were coming in saying that they were believers, but they weren't. And so the first chapter of the book of 1 John, 
he uses contrasting language and, and he says, some people say they're a Christian, but this is what they do, so they're not. Some people say they're a believer, so they do what honors God, and so they are. And so he uses this contrasting language, and we're going to start reading in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, again, listen, if we say, here's this comparative language, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, and that word walk has a picture of a continual lifestyle, If I say I'm a Christian, but my lifestyle, my continual lifestyle is darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, here's the flip side. But if we walk in the light, that word walk is a picture of continual lifestyle. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, here's a contrast again, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Isn't that what non-believers do? When you try to confront them with sin, what is sin? There is no sin. I don't have sin. I just live however I want to live. This is, this is my set of moral code, is to live however I want to live. You can't tell me that that's sin. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, and here's the opposite of that. Here's the believer. If we confess our sins, if we are confessors, if the, if, the, if, if, if the continual pattern of your life is that you own up to your shortcomings, if we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the opposite. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Christians are confessors. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And when we sense when that peace leaves us, when we dishonor God and we're rude. I mean, look, I can be cantankerous sometimes. You think maybe I'm not. Talk to my wife for a little while. Don't don't feed me for a little while. I get what you call uh, uh, hangry. Anybody ever been hangry before? I, 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 I have to eat at, you know, certain times. And if I don't, I get hangry and, and I'm, I'm difficult to be around. When we were in Washington, D.C., we walked about eight to ten miles per day. So we had no problems eating. We constantly ate the whole trip. We just were walking and eating, walking and, 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 and eating. So I didn't get hangry too much. But I, I, I cannot, I can be difficult to be with sometimes, like all of us. And, and we know immediately when we've said something and done something that's not right. And we have that sense of peace that is removed from our heart. We're unsettled. We don't feel at rest. And, 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 and you, that, that you should take joy in that. Take, rejoice when you feel unsettled about your sin. If you feel settled about your sin, you feel, if you feel okay in your heart when you're rude and mean, Lord, help you. The proof that you're a believer is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you're rude and mean, you should, you should celebrate when you know right away. That is such a joy. You take joy when you recognize, God, thank you. Thank you that, again, you reminded me that I'm not there yet. And... A proof of a Christian, one evidence is that you're a quick confessor. You, 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 you admit you're wrong right away. How, how many of you have a hard time doing that? We get stubborn, hard-nosed, but there's nothing like a person when they know they're wrong. And, you know, I always talk about marriage because it's biggest, one of the biggest parts of my life, right? When I'm wrong, you can ask my wife. I'm not bragging about myself. Sometimes I, I, I use it to my, I, I can be sinful in, 
in it to try to get my way. <laughs> but I like to confess right away. And sometimes I'll confess right away. I say, all right, now it's your turn. <laughs> what, what, what did you do? <laughs> but but, but, but serious, seriously, though, besides that craziness there, I made a decision early on in my marriage that I was not, I was not going to be slow to admit when I'm wrong. That there is no, nothing I've done that's wrong is worth hanging on to. My desire to be right is not worth hanging on to if it means I'm going to lose peace with my wife. We've read through Proverbs what it's like to not be at peace with your wife. It's better to dwell in the corner of an attic than to not be at peace with your wife. That's my translation. To not have peace in your marriage, you're miserable. To not have peace in relationships with those that you love is miserable with your kids, with, with your friends. Life is too short. We're not, the, the book of James chapter 4, it says that, that your life is a mist. And this is what we talked about last week, right? Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Your life is but a mist. It, it appears, it's like a vapor. It appears one day and it's gone the next day. And so there is nothing worth hanging on to that's, that's worth losing God's peace in your heart. So believers, we, we confess quickly. One sign that you belong to the Lord is that is your willingness to admit your failures. And this last verse in the book of James, I just love this. Such a great picture of confession of sin. And, and I just love this picture of how the body of Christ takes part in our confession of sin. You know, you know, when we confess our sin, we confess it to the Lord. But there's times, just a lot of times in my life when I sin, it's typically against somebody. Most of the time with my mouth. There's something that takes place when we confess our sins one to another. James 5.16 talks about this. It says, confess your sins to each other. I think sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to confess it to God. And God, me and God are going to be good. And I'm not going to tell the person I'm wrong that I'm sorry. You know, that's a part of confession. You can be right with God, but you need to be right with those you sinned against. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love this verse. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Have you ever connected that verse right there with the verse right before it? How many of you ever quoted the second verse? My prayer, my earnest prayer is going to produce great results. And you just kind of put that on any subject you want to. I'm just going to pray earnestly and now I'm, God's going to do lots of things for me. But you can't remove it from the context. It's, it's, a, it's connected with confessing your sins. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So here's the picture. I sinned against Pastor Renee. And I know I'm wrong. And that there's just a tension that's there. I go before the Lord and I repent. So, Lord, forgive me for what I've said to my pastor. You know, I've, I've, I've done that before. That's real life. Forgive me for what I've said to my pastor. But I just, I'm afraid of him. I don't want to go there. He's my pastor. He's my boss. He might fire me. <laughs> you know, so I stay away from him. <laughs> he said, I, I better be. So, but there's this wall that's there. And here's the picture. I, I allow the Holy Spirit to work on my heart. And he humbles me. And I go before my, my, my brother in Christ. And I say, brother, brother, pastor, forgive me for what I said. I'm sorry for how I worded that, for how I said that. I'm sorry for, for what I did. Would you forgive me? And then, he, and then we pray. 
We pray for each other. And you know what? That prayer is an effectual prayer. It produces wonderful results. You know what the results are that are produced? It's a unity. And it's a renewed trust that is built in. Because what happens is, is when you sin against somebody, there's a trust that's broken. There's a trust that's broken. So you can be okay with God and you're, you're, you're okay. But God wants there to be a unity that is restored between brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what happens in relationships in the body of Christ. This is why we need each other. Is that whenever we live a life of confession and repentance of sin towards each other, and we're, when we're quick to admit that we're sorry, and we go to our brothers and sisters and we say and we admit, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, we hold hands, we agree, we pray, and we pray earnestly for each other. And it produces great results. And those results are a unified church that walk together, that walk in the peace of God. The peace of God. Amen? I'm, I'm, I'm done preaching. We're good. There's, 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 peace that's, there's peace that comes. One way God brings his peace to our hearts is through genuine, accountable relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we, we need that so bad. We need to be accountable. And whenever people can hold us accountable and we can confess and be open, listen, don't hide on, don't, don't, don't hide on to your, don't, don't hold on to your sin. If, so if you're in here tonight as a brother in Christ, I'm pleading with you. If you have hidden sin in your life, don't hold on to it. It is not worth holding on to. It's not worth staying miserable for. You can't be bold as a lion. You can't be bold as a lion and have confidence. How many of you have struggled to witness? There's no boldness because you know you're hiding something. You feel like, well, I can't say anything about Jesus because I'm a hypocrite. It's not worth holding on to it. If you are holding on to secret sin, go to a brother. If, if, if you're a man, go to a brother in Christ. If you're a woman, go to a sister in Christ. Grab their hand and say, here, here, I'm, this is who I am. I need help. Help me. Confess. Repent. Repent before the Lord, but confess it before one another. And then you pray together. And that prayer is effective and it works mighty things in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your peace that you give us. That's such a wonderful peace that we have. It's a peace that this world cannot offer. The world tries to offer peace. Tries to give us a sense of completeness and wholeness by trivial pursuits and things that don't satisfy. But God, we know, we know that the end of all of those pursuits is emptiness. The end of all of those pursuits is another hurt, is another disappointment, is another rejection, is more pain. God, peace that passes all understanding can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you as believers here tonight, we thank you that your peace is shed abroad in our hearts. And that we can come boldly before your throne. Because we have confidence that we are justified. And that we are righteous. And that we are in right standing. And God, I thank you for that foundation. And God, I also pray, God, that we would be, as a result of that justification, as a result of who we are in Christ, that as believers, that we would not hold on to unrepentant sin. That we would not hold on to secret sin. That we would come clean quickly. That we would admit quickly. That we would not be stubborn and hard-nosed. But that, that we would say, I'm sorry. And that as a result of that, that we would live in continual unity within the body of Christ. We thank you for these things. And again, we pray 
for Pastor Renee and Vicki. Pray that you'd comfort them. I pray for Miss Vicki right now. Comfort her heart, Lord. Wrap your arms around her. Remind her that you are with her and you're never going to leave her. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.